and uh, thank you for joining us. Um, I went back over some of the notes from last Sunday when Josh was preaching from Mark chapter 5, and you know, I, I bring my journal in here when I'm hearing someone else preach, and I'm going to jot down some things, and I went back over those three statements that he really ended with, and uh, it just really spoke again to me. Um, things in that story that, you, you know, you can, you can read things in the Bible. You can read it multiple times, many times, and it's just like a treasure chest. Uh, all of a sudden, you see something else that you hadn't seen before, and it just was amazing some of the things that uh, I hadn't seen in that story where instead of him insisting to stay and go preach to everybody, he took the guy who had just been delivered and said, now you go preach, you go tell him. Uh, what God has done. So if you, ha if you weren't here to hear that message, uh, go back to our, our Facebook and find that and listen to it because it is a great message. I love to listen to preaching. Um, Tim Delana up at Times Square Church is one of the guys I like to pull up some of his messages. And um, you probably have, you heard me say this, R.C. Sproul, he's, he's now with the Lord in heaven. And he's not anywhere near Pentecostal Assembly of God, Church of God. He's kind of like a Reformed theology. But I love to hear that guy preach. And uh, they got a lot of his um, messages on their, their site as well. I'm going to take you to Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. And I'm uh, going to share a message on the way of faith. W-A-Y, the way of faith. And probably Hebrews 11 is one of the most important chapters dealing with this thing called faith. I'm going to take a look at it. We're going to also go into Genesis a little bit and uh, come back to Hebrews. So probably have more stuff here than, um, I don't know. We'll just take time to share it all. How's that? You know, just pray I'll get a little more nervous. And when I get nervous, I talk faster. So, you know. <laughs> We'll get to the conclusion faster if I get a little bit more nervous. I'm reading this out of the NIV, Hebrews 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. In verse 1, we have kind of an, a definition of faith, right? Faith is... You know, I, I, I memorized this out of the King James. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And, and that's the description of faith. Everything that's about faith is going to fall in that statement. Seeing is not believing. Seeing is just affirmation. And when someone says seeing is believing, that's not true. You don't need faith for what you see. And you even see that in this definition. And then you have a display of faith. And the display of faith of all things, the writer of Hebrews, some people believe it was Paul, but the writer of Hebrews goes back to the very first declaration that was spoken over the universe. And God said, let there be light. 
Listen to verse 2 again, uh, or verse 3. By faith we understand, by faith we believe and understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. You know, the matter just didn't happen. God created it. And I know there's a, I don't even know if anybody believes in the Big Bang anymore, but the big, the problem with the Big Bang, the big problem with the Big Bang is how was there an explosion when there was nothing in existence? So you got to have something to make an explosion. And out of an explosion, order doesn't come out of an explosion, right? Chaos is a result of an explosion. I'm not going to stay long in that because it's kind of a silly explanation of how the universe got started but what I want to do this morning is look at the people that he mentions in Hebrews 11 and of all people Abel is his first reference he doesn't say anything about Adam and Eve and it's not because they didn't have faith I mean actually He's got one chapter of reviewing people of faith in the Old Testament. And obviously, there's a lot of people that's going to get left out. Because this is not even going to be close to being an exhaustive list. But it's just kind of interesting that the first person the writer of Hebrews talks about as a person of faith is Abel. That Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous. And when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Isn't that an interesting statement? That the testimony of Abel still goes on because even though his brother killed him, and there's something into that story too about what God respects, right? He came, brought stuff, but he kind of like brought it just like out of, you know, he didn't really bring anything that was of, of meaning and matter. He just kind of brought whatever. And God says that Abel brought a better sacrifice. When you look at the next person after Abel that is mentioned, look in verse 5, and that's Enoch. So we go from Abel to Enoch, and watch this transition from one person to another. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he, he, was, he had this compliment. He was known by this, that he pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly or diligently seek him. So here comes Enoch as an example of faith and, and faith is always looking toward what in the world can we do to please God. Not that God says okay with some things, but what does he really enjoy seeing us do? We had in our Sunday school class uh, how to mend confrontations within the family and brothers and sisters and brothers and brothers and sisters and sisters and, you know, forcing them to uh, apologize to each other and they really are not apologizing. They're just saying the words. You want them to have a little bit of a feeling of uh, forgiveness there, but you can't make that. This is those who please God are those who speak what God wants them to do. And, and Enoch walked with God and God commended it because he pleased God. He lived the life and he was just raptured. He's the first person to be raptured. He's gone. 
They couldn't find him. And who comes up next? Noah. Noah is the next one mentioned. And I'm not going to say a whole lot about Noah, but isn't, isn't that interesting? It goes from Abel to Enoch to Noah. And that's covering a lot of time frame, isn't it? And who's next? Abraham. Boy, there is a lot of history between Noah and Abraham. You could put Job in there because he was a contemporary of Abraham. You know, he, was, he knew God. He believed God. It wasn't just that Abraham was the only person who recognized that God, the sovereign God, Yahweh, was over the entire universe. Job had a relationship with him. But here he has this to say about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. And even though he did not know where he was going, boy, how many of you have taken a trip like that? You just found out you didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign land, a foreign country. He lived in tents. He never, we never see Abraham build a house. He was nomadic the whole time he was there. As did Isaac and Jacob, and they're just kind of mentioned almost like an afterthought, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Abraham was 75 years of age when he left Ur of the Chaldees, which is probably somewhere in where Iraq is right now, over in the Mesopotamian Valley. So he, when he left, he lived in Tensi. The only property he owned in the land that God promised him was a place to bury his wife and where he would be buried in a tomb. But it says also Sarah is mentioned. You know, these two people didn't do everything the right way. And God was, I mean, even putting their name in here in the list. And, and what ever happened to Abraham he lied twice about his wife being his wife he said no she's my sister and I don't want anybody killing me because she's very pretty to be that you know these were old people that God brought to the promised land she must have been really pretty enough for Abraham to lie about she, she, she's not my wife she's, you know, she's my sister and that got him in trouble but that, that would get anybody in trouble he says no she's not my wife but it says, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, what did she get credited for faith? She was enabled to bear a child. Isn't that, aren't you glad that God's measure of faith is pretty good? That she could bear a child. This was her entrance into this hall of faith list in Hebrews 11. And she considered him faithful who had made a promise. And so... From this one man, he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand of the seashore. This list is not a, a long list. The next person that's mentioned is Moses. And he is the man, right? He is a central character in the Old Testament. But who gets credit for the next example of faith? Are you there? If you're there, if you're there, if you got your phone or something, who follows Moses? Rahab. 
What does it say about Rahab? It, there's an adjective there, right? The prostitute Rahab. Not a converted prostitute, but while she was a prostitute, God commended her as faith because she knew something was going on outside the walls of that city and she believed and she hid the spies that was in that city. There was a transformation, but God considered her as a person of faith because of that one decision that she made that I'm gonna protect those men because I believe what's on the outside of the city. There's something going on out there that's much bigger than ours. And she believed. And not only did she believe, she landed in the lineage of Jesus. How about that for grace? If any of you are wondering if God has grace for you, look at that. There is grace there. Of course it's grace. It's a picture of faith and how grace works through faith. And people can have a shady past. They can have all kinds of problems. But when God saves you, he wipes all that clear. Other people might bring it up. And there's probably people that can't wait to bring it up, what you used to do. That's like my brother. People found out he got saved. They said, ah, I don't believe that. <laughs> because he had a history of what he did and how he lived. And, and his change was phenomenal. In Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to take you to a couple places in chapter 15. But in Genesis chapter 12, Abram and Sarah, who's mentioned in Hebrews 11, are called to leave the land that they're in and to head to the promised land. They're carrying with them a nephew named Lot. In Genesis 14, Abram meets after uh, this enormous victory in, in you know, reclaiming all of the stuff that these uh, armies had taken off from uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and everything. Abraham goes after it with all of his hired help and they get back and they retrieve and, and uh, he encounters a priest known as Melchizedek. This is chapter 14. And Melchizedek blesses Abram and what does Abram do in response to that blessing? He gives him a tithe of everything he has. He gives everything he reclaimed as other people's property, he gives that back to them and when the the leaders, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah wanted to give him a, a token of appreciation. He refused to take it. But here again, he's, he, he recognizes Melchizedek as a special person who's representing God. And, and he really blesses him by giving a tithe, a tenth. This is verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as right. This is verse, this is chapter 15. Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him for righteousness. He believed the Lord. Now listen, there was still some really failures in Abraham's life after this. But God saw in his heart that he had faith and God counted it as righteousness for him. In verse seven, he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to take possession of it. And Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And what happens next is so important for the journey that faith 
that uh, Abraham and Sarah are in, how can I know? He already believed the Lord. In verse 6, it said, it's granted him for righteousness. And he's in the land. God's promised him that land. So how can I know that this will be? And what happens next is an, is an interesting display. And I think in, we, we can't really process that because we don't think in these terms. When people make agreements, they don't take an animal and cut them in half and lay the halves next to each other and pass between them and shake hands and says, now we're, we're really sure this is a covenant. We're making an agreement here. And that's what covenant means. It, it's always to make a covenant is to cut a covenant. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each of them three years of age. This is in verse 9, along with a dove, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two. Remember, he's already had, he got his last name, Abraham, father of many. He's still known as Abram. He's already been credited for righteousness. And Abram brought all of these to him. He cut them in two, arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, he didn't cut them in two, but there they were as a sacrifice. And during the day, birds of prey started trying to come in and land on these parts of animals. And Abram's out there shooting them away, and he's doing this all through the day. And when he gets later on, when the sun had set, in verse 17, darkness had fallen, and a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenesites, Kazmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphatites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergesites, and Jebusites. And thank you that I can say that without too much butchering those words up. But I want you to see something. I want you to see something. What was the land that God told Abraham would be him and his descendants? They have never lived in that expanse of a land they have not even come close to reaching all the way to the river euphrates so what does that tell you it tells you that god isn't finished with his covenant with abraham this is god making the covenant this is not abraham and god making the covenant this is why he he just set abraham off to the side and this smoking firepot was the presence of God coming between those animals. And it was like God was saying, this is the seal that I have for you. I'm sealing your destiny. You will be the father of many nations. And he was and has been. And he was sealing this in his own presence. And God, this was a single phase covenant that God was making. This was not a two-person covenant. He was telling Abraham, you just sit off to the side. I'm making this agreement with you. And that's the way of faith. That God is totally the one who establishes our salvation. We believe, but why do we believe? How do we believe? We believe because we hear the word of God and the word of God sparks faith inside of us. We just don't come to a place of belief. We're ministered to by the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden faith arises in our heart that totally comes from God. It all comes from God. 
We have trust in people, but we don't have trust in God until we're prompted by the Holy Spirit and convicted by the Holy Spirit. And in that conviction, we give ourselves to him. And that covenant is always 100% initiated by God. Jesus was not a victim of Rome's power. He said, no one has the authority to take my life. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to pick it back up. And those guys that beat him to a pulp and made fun of him and joked around with him and spit on him and everything they could just to shame him, they had no idea that he could evaporate all of them. (laughs) They weren't taking his life. He was giving his life. He was establishing a covenant. He is the real victor. He conquered darkness. He destroyed the power of sin. And I think those soldiers got a little nervous when he cried out, it is finished, and the ground started shaking, and and then there was a three-hour eclipse that took place. I think they might have concluded that something was unusual about that guy that was on that middle cross. So what are, what are we waiting for in regards to our own faith? For us to get to a place where we feel like we're ready for whatever God has for us. Can I tell you, that's an inversion of what God, how God works in our lives. He's not sitting around waiting for us to get to a place where, you know what, I think maybe they're ready. He takes us just like we are just like he took Rahab. Her life changed that day, but she did not have to come to a standard by which he says, you know what, I think I can use that woman now. I think that she'll be a part of the lineage that brings the Messiah. No, she had totally nothing to do with the favor of God coming upon her life other than she decided to leave her her commitment to her fellow people in Jericho and surrender herself to the Lord. Jesus lived in a closer proximity to Abraham than we live in proximity to him. Think about that. As much as we know about Jesus because of Scripture, think about how much Jesus knew about Abraham and taught about him and mentions him in his mentioning him in the word. He knew the strain of Israel's attempt to keep the law. It's, it's, it's impossible to keep that law. God gave them 10 commandments. He gave them so many things that they could never uphold that. They could never meet all 10 commandments. They never could. He gave them that standard to let them know that they could not do this on their own. They had to trust him. Had to trust him by faith and by mercy. I want to I wanna encourage you, don't get caught up in that you have to come to a standard before God chooses to work in your life. Because it's not up to you for him to work in your life. It's up to him. And when he moves on you, then we move in agreement with him. Agreement is everything. To say, yes, Lord. I want to take you 
in a moment to a place we're going to have communion here in, in 1 Corinthians 11. But before I do that, I, I just want to encourage you to follow Jesus out of his worthiness for you to follow him. Are we benefited by that? Are we ministered to by that? Because, you know, we have accepted him as Savior and Lord, followed him as Savior and Lord, submitted ourselves to him, committed ourselves to him. I just think sometimes we think that we're on a sliding scale as to the favor of God. That's not it at all. For by grace we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. In Hebrews chapter 12, there's a definition of faith there in Hebrews 12. You know, and seeing we're so, compassed with such a cloud of witnesses, you know, we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But it says that he's also the one who absolutely performs and fulfills faith. He is the one that has taken faith to the place. And this is, this is him giving a true definition of faith, that he is the author. And if you're in the King James, if, you're, if you have a King James translation, and I memorize stuff out of King James, so I'm, you know, just have to forgive me. I'm not into NIV memorization. But it says, who is the author and finisher of our faith. If you have a King James version on your phone or whatever, I want to tell you, look at the word our it's in italics, meaning it's not in the original script. The translators thought that would help make it meaningful. So you take our out, what do you get? That Jesus is the author, the, the pioneer, the trailblazing pioneer is how one translation describes it. The trailblazing pioneer and the one who completes or perfects faith period so we whatever faith we have he's the one that's prompted that faith and this is what he's called us in in hebrews 12 that we are to pursue him we are to go after him i want our praise team to come back up because this gives us an opportunity as we get ready for the lord's table the, the cup and the bread for us to follow him, to say yes again, yes again, yes again, yes, Lord, here's my life. I give my life to you. I give my days to you. I give this Sunday to you. I give everything to you. You know, the, uh, the whole thing about Abel bringing a better sacrifice, a better offering, a, that's what he calls it in the scripture, a better offering than Cain. Isn't it interesting from the very get-go those who had a sense of who God is always wanted to bring something to him. Always wanted to lay something at his feet, present a sacrifice, and it really was the best that they could bring. Also has something to do with a living sacrifice. An animal had to pay for their life. Blood had to be shed. This blood covenant that God established. I guess Cain thought vegetables would do just didn't cut it did it and we really see what was motivating Cain anyway he didn't have a good heart he didn't have a good spirit he really was at odds with 
God and at God's with who God is. And he was just kind of dismissing the whole thing. Just bring God anything. It's okay. But Abel brought something that cost him, cost him dearly. Some of his firstlings, his first fruits of the animals that he herded. And that's a true picture of the sacrifice of Jesus. He is the living sacrifice that gave his life for us. Would you stand with me? Lord, I pray this morning for you. Anyone in this room that really is kind of like in the middle of should I, shouldn't I? Or maybe in their minds they call you Lord, but maybe in their heart it's not so real there. Where they make the decisions of their life, what's valuable to them, what's important to them. We know that money can become a God. Approval can become a God to us. Performance can become a God to us. But today we, we renounce all of that in favor of you. That we want you to be God. You to be Lord of our lives. For you stepped into our world. And you took upon yourself the entirety of mankind's sin. And you carried it all to the cross, past, present, future. You paid for all sin, for all human history. And that includes us who are standing in this room. And Lord, may this morning we realize the enormity of that grace. That who are we to be casual about something so phenomenal and so powerful that we can't even comprehend the reality of heaven pursuing us like that. And yet, every one of us in this room are pursued by God with a passion that we would know Him and love Him and serve Him and live out our days for You, Lord, to honor You. And may no one in this room be left in a place of casual assertion that we all feel the weight of grace upon us, that it requires us for our response to say, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me, cleanse me of my my selfishness, cleanse me of my self-determination of being my own boss when we're not very good at that at all. We need you as Lord. All of us in this room need you as Lord this morning. So we confess to you, Lord, and we surrender ourselves to you. Would you do that right where you're at? Lord, I, I give you my life. I give you... Today, I give you what days you have ahead of me tomorrow. I, I want my life to be about you, not about me. I want you to direct my steps. I want you to help me in my decisions. I want you to be the focus, Lord. Many will get up the, tomorrow and will go to their their work and jobs but yet the greatest thing is that we can get up and greet you and say Lord I love you I worship you I want to live my life whatever you whatever person you've put in front of me that I can bless today I want that and I pray God for our young people who've been convinced in some ways by their peers that some standards don't need to be held to Lord that there would be conviction upon every young man, every young lady who realizes that he wants their life not after they get married, but now. 
right now in their teen years you want them to belong to you you want them to know you and call you Lord not as a title but as a function that you are the master of our lives and you loved us enough to step into this broken world this world that abused you to lay down your life so that we can have eternal life elements are served Lord throughout this congregation we just pray that every man, every woman, every young person every one of us would have a fresh encounter with you and surrender ourselves to you thank you Lord I want our men that's going to be serving the elements to come and what we're going to do we have a tray of the juice and a tray of the bread and two people is going to be in the middle of the church and if you'll just come down the center aisle uh, when they get in place and uh, and come through the center aisle and go back you can go back to your seats but uh, you can go ahead and begin to come and uh, get one of the bread and one of the cups And if someone cannot, uh, is not able to come down, somebody will uh, will serve them.
says the Eucharist, which comes from the word giving thanks. Um, the Jewish people bless the Lord. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe. And so they speak blessings over every part of their Passover. had all these kind of problems I mean two letters probably a third letter that we don't know what happened but most of them were correction so far I don't think any of us are, are getting drunk over um, communion and having a party but that's what the Corinthian church had started doing so he wrote this to, to correct them and said that's not the way you're supposed to do this God is the God of grace. <laughs> Thank the Lord for that group at Corinth. But he said, I received from the Lord what I also passed to you. That Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, there's the Eucharist part. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. This do. Representing your holy sacrifice, your sinless life, a body, a physical body in this world, never tainted with sin. And you laid down that sacrifice for us, for these in Corinth, for all of those who were outside the boundaries of what they were supposed to be doing. You still had grace for them. And I pray this morning, Lord, that grace to those who really fought guilt and condemnation in their life. I pray that this morning will be deliverance from that weight that's on them, that you free them from self-condemnation because you already took that on yourself for us. And as we hold this bread, we ask for your blessings to be upon it. We give you thanks for it and we take this bread collectively, corporately, in remembrance of you. Let us receive the bread in his name.
And there's something in us that yearns for that day when all of this is over and that we're collectively, corporately in your presence forever and ever. But here we are today asking for your favor to rest upon our lives. And we hold this cup, not just as a symbol, but as a a cup of agreement that we are in agreement with you that you are Lord you've been raised from the dead and you are Lord and we submit ourselves to your Lordship by taking this cup representing your blood that was shed for us that cleanses us from all sin we celebrate that by receiving this today with thanksgiving in Jesus name let us receive the cup together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We bless you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, <laughs> for a great salvation that you've given us, Lord. For our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the only book that matters, Lord, that you have pinned our name there. We give you thanks for it, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless your name. Bless your name, Lord. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that at the foot of the book of life is not a pile of eraser dust? Amen. Oh, I blew it. Uh, No, thank God for his grace. Hallelujah. Can we just lift our hands and thank him for his grace? That we don't have to earn it, Lord. We just, you've given it to us. The only cost has been on you, not on us. Nothing, it doesn't cost us anything. We give ourselves to you as a, as a reaction to your giving. As a subsequent, Lord, we we belong to you. We want to live our lives for you. I pray for every one of us in this room that this week of Thanksgiving we'll have a different view of our own salvation. That it is rock solid. It's not on tedious ground. It's not on shaky ground. It's on the rock of ages. Your salvation is sufficient for all of us, Lord. And may this week we celebrate that. As families gather, Lord, help us not to forget where our source is, who our source is. It's all about you, Lord. It's all about you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Why don't you turn to a couple people and say, I'm so glad you belong to Jesus. I'm glad that you are on your way to heaven. To clean my hands, purify.